Today is Daf in Lamed Zion, 37. We pick up at the uh, very top of Lamed Zion. To remind you where we are, the Mishnah had the debate of Reb Yehuda and the Chachamim about whether you can, about what a, uh, the knot of Yolulav has to be made of, according to Reb Yehuda, only from the Arban Inim, Bin Mino. Actually, interesting question, if you could, could use a part of the Esrog tree. Um, but um, anyway, that's what Reb Yehuda says, because, and the Chachamim disagree, and Rav explains the reasoning of Reb Yehuda is not an aesthetic point, but it's actually a point of the idea that Lulav requires a knot, so to use anything else would be considered to be extraneous and adding to the number of Minim. Um, I just mentioned in passing an interesting thought about whether you could use part of the Esrog tree, because is that also seen as extraneous, since the Eged really consists of three Minim, not four. Something interesting to think about. Anyway, Rava says that once that's the point, and it's not an aesthetic point, you can even use parts of the tree, of the Lulav tree, that are not aesthetic, like a piece of the bark, even, if you can make a strip of bark. Um, that could be used then to not be, to not the lulav. And now he's trying to demonstrate this idea that even a part of the tree itself is considered a uh, part of the, of the arba minim, even if it's not the actual lulav, the actual hadas, the actual arava, even though, even the parts would be considered part of the arba minim. And he's going to demonstrate that from a fascinating debate that, uh, so, it's fascinating that we didn't hear about it, about sukkah, you know, we didn't really hear about it when we were doing the first two prakim. And that is a debate about whether about whether you need to make the sukkah out of the arba minim. So let's actually maybe pick up with that at the bottom of Lamed Vav Lamed Bet, and it says the following about if we did this yesterday, but we'll do it again quickly today. About eight lines from the bottom, um, the Amar Rava and Rava says Minah um, Minala. The line starts with the word mini. Where do I know that this sort of um, uh, vine on the, uh, t- attached to the, to the uh, palm tree and the actual bark itself or the trunk itself is considered like part of the same min of the lulav? Obviously, botanically it is, but how do I know halachically it's considered like part of the arba minim? Titania, we turn the bright stuff. But Sukkot Teshvu, you should draw on Sukkot. Sukkot Shokoldava, did we make? Make it out of anything. Um, you know, the Schach, etc. As long as it follows the criteria of not in the Kabbal Tumah and growing from the ground. If you don't bear, ain't Sukkot Noheg as well as Minim Shabaluva. You can only make it out of the same Arba Minim that you use for the Lula. That's what you have to make the Schach out of. Zadinotain, and it's logical, and it's logical that this should be the way. And Dinotain often introduces the Kavachomer. Sukkah that lulav that only applies in, in in day and not at night you need to use the arba minim sukkah shenu heges b'leilus biyamim sukkah that applies both in day and at night enu din shalot day on arba minim how much more so should it be by arba minim which is a pretty bizarre kalvachome you know you can then say almost anything you want should be demanded by a sukkah and uh, anyway but okay there's already a predisposition and we'll see actually there's psukim in Ezra that might push you in this direction to sort of and to link these two things so you should also require the Arba Minim Amru Lo the rabbi said back to Rebbe Yehuda interesting Amru since he was debating with Rebbe Meir but anyway they because obviously this was a very Zat Yachid said to him any Kavachoma you make that starts off saying oh we should be more Machmia by Sukkah but in the end it's not a Chumrah it's a Kula it's not a good Kavachoma why is it a Kula top of Lamezayin Amaralif Lo matzah abar minim 
Let's say you're making all these high demands. Let's say you can't satisfy those demands. You can't find enough arba meaning to make schach for your for your for your sukkah. So what? Should you not sit in the sukkah? According to you, you'll say, well, okay, you don't have a sukkah. You have to eat out of your sukkah. That's our armor, but sukkah stays with shivas yamin. Sukkah shakodavah. The Torah says you should dwell in sukkah for seven days, which is fascinating. Which basically makes the point that every chumrah we always say, oh, just be machmir. Every chumrah almost always has a cool associated with it. You're excluding people. You're making it harder. Um, you know, often has a has a kula that you're not, you're you're not being concerned. You know, sometimes you're compromising bein other lechaveiro issues, but often also you're being makel in the sense of you know you're being uh, makel in terms of how you're valuing people's time, how you're valuing people's money, whether you're ex- pushing people away from doing the mitzvah, not making it possible to do the mitzvah. Yeah, so you know, it's very it's right. very so you know it raises the question: How could the ever make a kavakal? Right? But it's also very important in terms of attitudinal issues about oh well, let's just be machmir. There's a nice chuva from uh, Rev. Yehuda Herzl Hankin in the Bnei Banim where he, I forget exactly the context, but he sort of like makes that point as well, that like almost every chumrah has kulas associated with it. You can't just assume, oh, let's just play it safe and be machmir. Anyway, so then he says, the chayim be'ezra amru, Omer, and this is again to prove that you don't need the arba minim shabalula, but this pasuk, while being brought to prove you don't need the arba minim, actually is a pasuk that could be argued to say why specifically, what sort of informs Rebbe Yehuda's opinion that you do need the arba minim. Because by Ezra says, this is when they made Sukkot, it says, go out to the mountain, they view alei zayat, bring olive, olive leaves, the alei eight shemen, and oil leaves, which presumably is also like olive, um, the alei hadas, hadas leaves, the alei tamarim, and date uh, leaves, the alei eight avot, and which is also a type of a hadas, lasot Sukkot kakatuv, to make Sukkot as is written. So it sounds there, right, that they're making, lula, they're talking about leaves, they're also talking about, uh, you know, and they're making a Sukkah. So it sounds like they're using these things to make the Sukkah. Now, the rabbis are proving you don't need Arba Minim because above these, these things listed, which one is not of the Arba Minim? you got olive branch. Olive. So therefore they say, you see, you don't need the Arba right. Minim to make it. But it is quite fascinating, the the specifically identifying these things which are so much associated with the lulav and talking about making them for a sukkah. And we should note that the sudukim, trying to remember if it was the karite or the, or the sudukim or both, uh, but um, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty positive it was the sudukim and certain contemporary sects that said that read the pasuk ulekachtem lachem bayom harishon priyet hadar means take for yourself these uh, things, these priyatas of kabos marim, and use them to make a sukkah. They understood that it wasn't that there was a mitzvah of taking the lul of an esro. means take all these things and make your sukkah with them. And that was the proof from the verse. Now the question is, um, and you know, some scholars want to argue that that might originally have been how the verse was read, and that might actually be what is shot in the verse of of Ezra. In fact, it says Nehemiah, but uh, it's uh, originally it was one safer Ezra Nehemiah. Anyway, so if that's true. The one question though is the Alei Zayis and Alei Shemen. What do you do with that? So we, they argue that well, the, the you know, as we saw earlier, it's not so clear what the Arba meaning were. And that pre eight Hadar could mean olives. Maybe pre eight Hadar, maybe the, you know, maybe the beautiful tree is the olive tree. It has fruit and the fruit gives oil and, and so on, you know, and maybe that's how that was originally interpreted. So that is the olive woods that's being used here. And they read the verse that way. 
So that's an interesting possibility, and that actually is what, you know, Rabbi Yehuda says. Now, Rabbi Yehuda doesn't deny that there's a mitzvah of taking the lulav, but he actually says, yeah, but he's also actually prepared to maybe read the verse that way as well. So while this verse in Ezra is used as a proof against him because of the mention of olive, which clearly Rabbi Yehuda, you know, we use that to create the Darcy Ezra, so he's going to have to deal with that. Again, it's really important to recognize the power of this verse as suggesting exactly this idea, which is Rabbi Yehuda's idea. So now let's see what Rabbi Yehuda says back. Rabbi Yehuda, what would he respond back to the use of the olive wood? Since obviously he understands that Priyat Hadar is an estrog, not an olive tree. So what does he respond to that? Savar, Hanigli Defanos, all right, so the olive wood they use for the walls, but everything else, Ale Hadas, Ale Itzmarim, Ale Itzavok, Rishach, but the other things they use for the Shach. So Rabbi Yehuda really does get his support from here, and he just brackets the issue of the question of the Ale Itzayit. Okay. Now we know Rebbe's position. Now, why is this interesting? It's not because we taught in another Mishnah, Mesachim Binisarim. You can make schach with planks. You might remember that debate. Yeah. Can you use planks? Is it too much like the roof? Diva Rebbe Yehuda. That's what Rebbe Yehuda said. Now, here's the problem. How can Rebbe Yehuda say you could use planks if Rebbe Yehuda said you have to use hadas and a rava and palm branches? None of those things are planks. Right? Why? So, you, make, you can't you make a plank out of that wood? Out of the out of the trunk. Out of the olive. Thank you. No, forget olive. Because that's not for, he, because that, that he said is for the wall. We're talking about the sky. So you can make it out of the trunk of a of a, of a hard of a hadas tree or the trunk of a palm tree. So thank you. That proves Rubba's point. That if you say you need to use arba minin, it can include from the trunk of the tree, which is exactly why we're why we're quoting this. So, Alma Siv, the Ikra de Dikla, Mina de Luvahu, Shmamina. You see that the Siv, which is like some type of a, um, a vine around the tree or whatever, but it's not really the Siv, it's more the Ikra de Dikla, the actual trunk, that's considered to be part of the Arba Minin. See, if he demands Arba Minin for the Schach, and he allows you to use a plank from the trunk, so the same Reb who demands that you have to be Oge the Lulav and Oge this Bimino would not say you actually need to use the twig of the Hadas would allow you to use other parts of the tree as well that would be included in Arba meaning. It's quite fascinating if you think about it, right? The Reb Yehuda demands Arba meaning for the Schach. He demands Arba meaning to use for the, for the knot around the Lulav. He demands that the Lulav be knotted. So it's quite fascinating to see uh, these sort of collection of ideas within Reb Yehuda. Right, right, okay, right. yeah. How do we know that, that uh, Ikara means the trunk, usually Akarima roots? Um, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm just going by rock and by the oh, context. Okay. Ikara <laughs> okay. here, I think, it means like the essence. You know, so the essence is like the trunk of it. That's the way at least Rafi explains it. Okay? Okay. Um, where are we? Um, one minute. Okay, so we're out. Um, da 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 da. Okay. So Alma, um, okay, Shmamina. Umiyam Reb Yehuda Arba Minim in Midia Akhwini Lo. Now that we mentioned this, let's sort of take a minute to focus on this fascinating idea. Does he really say you can only use the four Minim for the Tzach? If you made the, the sukkah with a planks of a cedar, that had four tvachim, so if it's four tvachim, then even Rebbe Yud admits that, that you can't use planks that wide. Less than four tvachim, that's the debate. You might remember this. Rebbe Meir posts up, Rebbe Yud Then Rebbe Meir says, no, Rebbe Yud says it is good. This is the end of the bride. 
Rabbi Meir would concede if there's a gap between these planks the same width of the planks then you could put normal kosher schach between them and it would be fine anyways but the point is they were talking about using planks out of cedar Rabbi Yehuda just got through saying that you need to use the Arba Minim so the Gemara says no my Erez Hadas when it says Erez it's actually talking about a type of a myrtle tree um, now presumably it doesn't mean that cedar is of the genus myrtle but presumably that there is a myrtle tree that is called Erez there are ten species of Erez and then it lists other things so you see in this thing the assumption is, is that these are all variations of, of Erez now again I'm not exactly sure what the Gemara is saying maybe it is saying that, that Erez and Hadas share the same category you know sort of botanical classification but somehow Erez either cedar can be understood as a type of Hadas which I don't know if Charlie was here he would tell us already in Wikipedia whether that's true or not um, or it's saying that there is a type of a Hadas that is called Erez uh, it sounds more like the former which is a pretty bold statement anyway okay but that is the fascinating position of Rabbi Yehuda that you need the Arba Minim in the Lulav which actually finds some support in a, a core quasi support in the verse in Ezra Nechemia except with the issue of the Aleph and as I said can actually be a fascinating way of considering reading the Pasuk itself of now we move on to the next part of the Mishnah now that we understand that Rabbi Yehuda needs you to use our Barminim because it's so it shouldn't so because it's an essential part of the rule of Tzarek Eged and you can't introduce something else into the Mitzvah object that's his logic but Rabbi Meir says no you don't need it and Rabbi Meir also holds that Lulav doesn't need an Eged and then brings the proof in the Mishnah that they used to use gold chains around the Lulav to which Rabbi Yehuda responded it would be bound with the one of the Arba Minim below and now we have a Brighter that's almost word for word the end of our Mishnah Tanya is on the Brisa I'm a Rabbi Meir there's a story with some of the great honored people of Jerusalem they would bind their lulavim with gold bands and so you see they did not use the Arba Minim Amrulo again they is interesting because it's only Rabbi Yehuda's position they said back to him Misham Raya there you want, you want to bring a proof from that no, although the gold bands is what stood out, there was a little knot out of the actual, you know, from, from one of the Arba Minim um, at the bottom. And that was the knot that counted halakhically. The rest was for aesthetics. Again, pointing out how fascinating it is, how much in Masechah Sukkah you have reference to actual observing actual practices and then debates of how to interpret what exactly happened. That like happens many, many times in Mesechet Sukkah, much more than it does in other Mesechetos. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this, Amalu Rabba Lahanu Megadle Hoshana. Rabba said to the people that were Megadel Hoshana. Now Megadel in this context you might think means to grow, but actually Megadel can also mean like to, um, to braid or to construct so those people that make made the Hoshana, and Hoshana you'll remember, is the name used in the Gemara for like the uh, the uh, Hadas and the Rava and the Lulav as they were bound together, and the components of the combination of the Hadas, Lulav, and Arava. So those people that would make those uh, you know the, those bunches and combine it to the Lulav. 
So what did he say to them? Okay, um, so he said the following. The Bay Reish Galusa. Now they did it in the house of the Reish Galusa. You might remember some interesting stories about the house of the Reish Galusa on Sukkot. So they said, he said the following: King of Lisu Hoshana, the Bay Reish Galusa. When you construct the Lulavim, you know, uh, with the Hadas and in the house of the Reish Galusa, Shari Bay Beisiad, leave at the bottom a place to hold on to it directly. Kihechi delel kehavi chatzitza. So it should not be a chatzitza. Meaning, this is a, a very similar to what happens nowadays. They would put some type of a wrapping around it. Maybe imagine they, I don't know, used a silk thing to wrap around it to combine it. So he said, you know, let some of the things stick out below so when you hold on to the lulav, he can be directly holding on to the lulav, the hadas and the arava. Don't have him hold on to like the, six, the silk, you know, wrapping which is holding it all together because then you have a chatzitza. So something has to be held directly. Now we have the issue with you know, the little, what I call the accordion things, but that's actually using from the Arba meaning themselves, and we'll discuss that in a minute. But let's first talk about this. So he says like this. He said, so that's what Rabba said. Ki um, should not be a, uh, uh, an, uh, an obstacle, a, uh, uh, what's the word, not obstacle, but um, obstruction, I guess, uh, between the hand and the, and the, um, and the lulav. Rabba, Rabba said, kolina oso Anything that is there to beautify it is not considered like an extraneous object and therefore does not create a chatzitza. Now, this is quite a fact, you know, I'm going to read another line and then I'll take, uh, take a step back for a minute. So that's his argument. It's not a problem, his position. Okay. Then he said to him, Ve'alma Rabba, Rabba also said, Now let's say, as opposed to wrapping some silk uh, thing around the lulav, you're actually are wrapping a, a silk thing around your hand. You're wearing gloves. So for, uh, he, okay, he says don't. Literally, he says don't uh, don't hold. You know, don't hold the lulav with a sudar, with a with a like uh, a handkerchief. Okay, so, but um, but you could also read it like you know don't have uh, gloves on while you're wearing it. To be ina tama. You need actually. You know what? I, gloves is not a good example because. I'll, I'll explain in a minute. So let's sort of say, um, it means that let's say, have, they, have a handkerchief wrapped around the, uh, you know, have a handkerchief, not a handkerchief, but yeah, like, yeah, have some type of a cloth wrapped around the lulav and don't take it via the cloth. Right, but it's not something that fits on your hand. Well, yeah, Tosus has a discussion about that, but for now, let's say the other way, that you have the handkerchief wrapped around the, the lulav and don't take the lulav via the handkerchief. To be in a tama. You need a full taking, which means to take it directly, not indirectly. The leka, you don't have it. The Rava Amar, Rava says, Even if you take something indirectly, it's considered that you took it. So I want to read this proof, and then I want to go back and unpack a little what we just said. Amar Rava, so Rava said, How do I know that taking something indirectly is considered like taking? That taking something indirectly is considered taking. Now we turn in the Mishnah. Ezov Katsar, you have a hyssop. Now you would dip the hyssop into a tube, like sort of like a you know an eyelash applicator tube, a thin tube. You would stick the hyssop in, and in that tube would be the water and the ashes of the paraduma. And that's how you would transport the ashes of the paraduma to different towns, is they would be in these applicator tubes, and in those tubes, you know, that would sort of protect them. It wouldn't spill; it would be a small amount. And you'd open it up, you'd stick in your azov, and you'd splash it on the people. That's how what you would do for the tarah A shvoveris. So let's say your azov, your hyssop, 
is, it has a very short stem. It's snapped. Okay? And you really need to do it now. You can't go looking for more hyssop. What are you going to do? You can't get it into the tube. You know, you can't get it all the way down to get the water. So what are you going to do? So it says, Misapko bechut, so you satisfy it, meaning you extend it with a string, ubikush, or like with a spindle, some type of an extra twig you attach to it. The tovel, umale, and you dip it into the tube and you pull it out of the tube with the string. And then you hold on to the hips up and you sprinkle. Okay, but fine, it's nice that you're holding on directly to this up when you're doing the sprinkling. But when you put it in the tube, you didn't put it in directly, you put it in th- with the help of a string. So, amai, why is that kosher? It says you shall take the azov and dip it. So you're not directly taking the azov and dipping it, you're only taking it indirectly with the help of this string. So, you see that even though you took the hyssop, not directly, but you took it and dipped it with the string, that's fine. That's considered like taking it. Rashi says, so then why do you have to hold on to the azov directly when you sprinkle? He says, that's just to get like accuracy. You know, to get control. Try sprinkling it, holding on to the string. You want to sprinkle it directly on the person. But fundamentally, even though you took it by the string, you're okay. So, Mark says, me, my, how do you know that? Maybe there's difference. Since you attach the string to the actual hyssop, it becomes like the hyssop itself. But if you took something without attaching it, imagine, for example, you took some tongs and you used the tongs to pick up the lulaf, right? And the hadas and the arafa. But you didn't attach it. You can't say it's not part of the lulav and the, and the hadas and the arava. Okay? So therefore, or let's say you made with this handkerchief, let's say you sort of made, you know, a thing. Uh, okay, let's say you sort of made like a holder. Okay? It's okay. Forget it. You made a holder. Okay? And then you put them in the holder. So they're not, it's not attached. You know, it's not like one unit with the, with the lulav and the hadas, but you're taking it by lifting up the holder. That's how you're taking it. So that maybe is different. That maybe is not considered a taking. So the says, Elamei Hacha, from here, another example from the case of uh, the ashes of a paraduma. Let's say from a, di- a tube that contained not the mixture of the ashes and the water, but just the ashes. And you're supposed to pour from this tube with the ashes into a trough or into like a vessel that has the water of the paraduma. And you do the mixing that makes it into the water that you can use. But instead of pouring from the tube of the ashes, some ashes accidentally spilled out into this vessel with the water. So, pasul, that's invalid because it says you have to directly through intentional human agency pour the ashes, not just it accidentally, you know, happens indirectly or unintentionally. So, so the Mer says, ha, so from that we can infer if you intentionally tipped the, the, you know, poured the ashes in, kasher, it's kasher, even though you didn't touch the ashes. You just poured it in by holding on to the tube. Amai, why is that kosher? It says you shall take the ashes and place them into the water. Amarachmana. And you didn't place them, you didn't take them, you only took them because they were in the tube. So, you hear from me, see from here, that taking something indirectly is considered to be um, like taking it. It sounds like so, it's a uh, koach de gavra. What? It sounds like it's koach gavra, like washing. 
Yes. But now here is the question. There's a lot of questions to ask. So we have basically Rava, Rava not liking either of these things, taking them with something that interferes and taking it indirectly. And Rava accepts both of them. So there's a colon oto and yachoset and l'skicha yudei darachir. So there's two questions to ask here. Well, one question is just to clarify something, which is, I was waiting for somebody to ask. He says, one minute, Rabbi I don't understand. How, if you said that, um, you know, <coughs> when, if, if, if you said that, if Rabbi first said that there's a chatzitza when you have, I don't know, the silk thing in the way, then how is that any different than saying that, oh, don't take it with this uh, handle because it's l'kicha yidei davarachir and that's no good. Who needs this l'kicha yidei davarachir reason? You know, there's a, a chatzitza. The thing, he just got through saying that you have to touch it directly. Why there's this separate discussion, right? So, what's that point? Well, I mean, if you already said it's invalid because there's an obstruction, why should this be different? So, there's a long Tosa that tries to figure this out. Uh, the basic conclusion of Tosa is fascinating. It's the following. It's like, question is, if I am trying to hold the lulav directly, and like, I'm saying, I'm not sort of, in, I'm not saying I'm taking it with something. I'm holding it with my hand. But there's something in between. It's wrapped up in a piece of silk. So that is an issue about the way I'm taking it is directly with my hand. There, that piece of silk that's there could be considered to be a chatzitza. And that's the first point he makes. If you're not directly touching it, because the act you're taking is to take it directly, then there's a chatzitza problem. But let's say I say, I'm not trying to take it directly. I'm not trying to hold on to it. I'm trying to lift it up with this, like, a holder. Okay? So somewhat maybe ironically, but since you're, def- you're defining your act differently, it would theoretically be able to say that in the first case it's a chatzitza, because if you want to hold on to it, you're not holding on to it. There's something between your hand and the lulav. Whereas the second case isn't a problem, because I'm not trying to hold on to it. I'm just trying to take it with something, to use something to pick it up. So if I'm using that thing, you know, here's another way of thinking about it. If I'm using the handle, the same as Gemara said that when you tie it to the lula, to the, hada, uh, uh, to the hyssop, it becomes part of the hyssop. Well, if I use something with my hand, like I use tongs, so what do you, if I'm using tongs conceptually, you can see those tongs as what? An extension. An extension of my hand. So maybe, if I try to hold it directly and there's something in between, that's a chatzitza. But if I pick it up with the tongs, maybe the tongs are like part extension of my hand and there's no chatzitza. So if there was a piece of silk between the tongs and the lulav, that would be a problem. But maybe I can, it's okay, because once, if I'm using the tongues, the tongues are part of my hand. And there, Rabbi says, no, nope, that's not good either. The is not good. Which Rava responds, and he says it is good. Now Rava said, the first point Rava said I said is if it's there to beautify it. Colin also in the Okay, it's there to beautify it. Now the tongues aren't beautifying it. So why do I think it's okay to use the tongs? They're not beautifying it. Why isn't that a chatzisa? So that's a different point. If you're using the tongs, they're not just there in between, then they becomes part of your hands, and they become an extension of you. So these are two different ideas. Directly taking it with something in between, Rava says no good, Chatzitza, Rava says it's there to beautify, it's not considered an obstruction, and then indirectly taking it and using something to take it, and there Rava says, that also, Rava says that also doesn't do you any good, and Rava says that's also fine, even though it's not to beautify it, here it's acting as a way of taking, an indirect way of taking, and that's also okay. Yes? Like, according to Rava, you have to say the bracha before you pick your lulav in the bag and your etrog in your box. 
Well, um, the oh, so picking the lulav in the bag, that's an excellent example of this idea of lekicha yidez avarachir, because the bag is certainly not lenaoso, right. certainly doesn't make it look any bigger, better, but you actually are taking it al yidez avarachir. You're picking it up al yidez avarachir. So you know that's an excellent point. Um, the one question could be what your kavana is, but if you don't have any kavana, if you had specific kavana not to be yosei, um, you know, it's a really good question. I mean, the basic difference is that we is that you're not doing it derech de lasso, the normal way it grows. Right, the same way you hold the yeshuk upside down and then you make the bracha. But if you let's say are depends on how you're holding it. Right, if you let's say are holding your bag up, most people will hold their bag vertical because they don't want it to bump into things you need to walk and get around so you're holding it naturally you're holding it all your days over here I guess you just have to be really careful not to hold the S-rope in the box to turn the box if you're holding it for a moment you turn your box it's an excellent point, really. Now, we will find out that even if you were Yotze already, you can still, according to Rishon, make the bracha if you haven't yet done the nanuing. <coughs> but, you know, most people wouldn't want, would want to wait, you know, until before making the bracha. It's a really an excellent point, and I, I, I'm curious if some post can sort of make that point. I don't remember seeing that discussion. But that's a, a great example of the idea of Wakicha Yudei Zavarachir. Because that's exactly what you're doing. You're carrying your lula by Yudei Zavarachir. Nobody is saying it's Linaosa. But that's a di- that's a way of taking something. If you take it through something else, yes. Just like this concept, uh, sounds to me like a similar logic in the Sukkot and Shabbat of Kitea Yotzei Shabbat. That's similar. That's the fourth extension of the person. Yeah. Yeah, but that's also because it's attached to the person and can be an extension. This more focuses not on your physical body, but on your action, like. You know, it's like when you're doing an act of taking and you're using something to do the act, you know, sort of like in that act it's considered to be an extension of you, but not more of, a, of an ongoing way. So there is some similarity, but this is very much act-focused. Right, that's what I'm lekicha al yidei davar achir. I'm taking it through something, and that is a way of taking something. Yeah. But when he's using some sort of an extension, at the end of the day, he still takes it directly. Right, there's no, there's nothing between him and the ruler. Yeah, right. he, he uses the extension to get it out. He, he was talking about it. He says, "Masako b'chudu chush b'tovel umala." But Oh no, Rashi says that's only so that you don't uh, so that you have control, control over it. But the fact that what exactly <coughs> Rashi says, he still he still eventually takes it. Yes, with but his hand. but that doesn't he address but that's not out. necessary for the act of dipping. The act of dipping is a separate requirement and according and that you never took it directly and that's okay. Is it the dipping that they supposed to have? Yeah, or each one is a separate no, each one is a separate requirement. So this, I'm not, otherwise the Gemara wouldn't have had a proof. Right, so the whole the point dipping. is that even with for the dipping, there was never a direct taking, and even so, it's okay. So th- that's now the other point I wanted to make is when we say something like kolin oso in the chotzeis, or there's another discussion that Tosos brings down, which is min bimino is not chotzeis. If it's a, a similar type, it's not chotzeis. It says like Tosos like when do we say that? For example, let's say. Uh, I go into the mikvah, or a woman goes into the mikvah, and her friend is holding very tightly onto her hand, right? And no water can get through. Well, would we say, like, mean bimino and no chotzeis? Or let's say, you know, she's uh, wearing some beautiful things. Would we say, kolina oso and chotzeis? Now, 
um, and, to, and you know, Tosin tries to figure out when we say some of these principles when we don't. Obviously, sometimes, like if you're thinking about the idea of going to the mikvah, you think much more there's a real need for something to be in contact. And therefore, if there's a need to be in contact, to say, well, if it's to beautify, it's not a chatzitza, it's the same thing, it's not a chatzitza. It's like, okay, but bottom line, there's no direct contact between the body and the water. We might not, uh, see, those, those arguments might not carry weight. If, however, there's a, here, you know, you could challenge this whole idea of why are we discussing chatzitza? The Torah never said, you know, the, the lulav has to touch your flesh. It just said, you should take! So I took it! Whoever said that it has to mean it has to physically touch my body. So here, that might be why we have sort of, um, you know, we're more forgiving of chatzitzot. Because the real question we're asking ourselves is not, is the lulav touching your body? The real question we're asking ourselves, is it considered like you took it? Is it direct enough that you took it? And if there's something that's obstructing, maybe it's not like considered a direct taking. You know, maybe it's not considered like you took it because your direct act was interrupted with something else. So there we could say, you know, it's there to beautify it, it's mino, it's not really, it's considered to be something that sort of obstructs the act, gets in the way. But again, it's interesting to try to figure out when do we have more forgiving sort of criteria for chatzitzot and consider these ideas of like, it's not such a obstruction, it's not such a foreign matter. And when sometimes is that not like relevant? So if you just look at the last line of Tosos, uh, he says, um, the first, well, the first of the widest lines of Tosos, he says like this, he says, so he asked a similar question about Siv, and in the last four words of the, of the Tosos, Kihechi, the end of the first wide line, he says, Vainwiz most Okay. <laughs> Did you see that? You see that? Those last four words of the big first line of Tosos? Right before the Dinah yeah. of the Be'ina? He says, on the, on Ramad Zainam Aleph, he says, Vainwiz most Like he tries to figure out, sometimes we say these principles, Colina Oso, mean Benino. Sometimes we don't say, yeah, yeah, there's somehow, you gotta figure out some difference between the cases. But I do think, to the degree that there starts with a concept of, for a is a concept of, your body has to be touching it. Right? Or, like by the Beis Hamikdash, we discussed exactly. an idea that there can't be a chatzitza between the feet of the Kohanim exactly. and the floor. And that's because somehow the physical connection to the floor is part of the Kiddushah of the Kohanim. You know, being connected to the ground of the Mikdash. As opposed to here, you know, if, like, you know, if we hadn't learned this Gemara, you would have said, you would have said, like, whoever said anything about chatzitza, why could that be even a relevant category here? It doesn't say it should touch your flesh. Right? So, okay, but maybe certain chassidzot would say, you didn't really take it, you didn't take it directly, you didn't take it in an unobstructed manner. Alright? But that we could be more forgiving in terms of what is and is not defined as an obstruction. Yes. No, but this is let's, let's turn the conceptual corner. This is another piece of the vocabulary that you've been constructing all along. That the Gemara's got an inclination to see the sukkah in mikdash terminology. Oh, because of chatzitza? Yes. Um, I don't know. Chatzitza comes even up even now on Passant and you're thinking out loud. Well, that is true. Thinking. Although I mentioned, you know, I mentioned mikvah, um, but that also says yeah, mikvah. Yeah, chatzitzas come up in so many contexts. But I hear the point. It's a to, it's a two man. It is a, it is a context that comes up a lot in mikdash and in taking things and whatever. Exactly. Inter- that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about I that. I think it's a piece of that whole the the the, the way the Gemara abstracts. 
I hear that. That's an interesting Plays point. In, in All right, I hadn't thought about that. That's an, I mean, Chassid isn't limited to that, but you are right, it's very prevalent in that world. So that's an interesting point. Okay, let's go back to the Gemara now. Well, I'm saying I'm a dead three lines from the top. The Amar Rabbah, Rabbah says, Lo radus inish muva behoshana. You should not go ahead and have your, like, hadas and arava bunch, you know, wrapped together, and then stick your lulav into it, okay? You know, sometimes we do that, but we, we can do it because we have those accordion things, so it doesn't rub up against it. But imagine you, didn't, you, you just had the hadas and arava tied together in some type of thing. Just <laughs> crammed your lulav into it. So why? The um, Amar, whatever, Didioma, Natri Tarfe, some leaves will come off of the hadas and arava, the Avi Chatitza. And then they will be a chazitza between you and trying to hold directly onto the hadas and the rava. You'll have some torn off hadas leaves that will be between your hand and the actual hadas and lulav that still is kosher. So for rava amar, and rava says, mean bimino eno chotzeitz. I jumped ahead, I mentioned that. Ah, if it's all hadas leaves and a rava leaves and lulav leaves, they're not really foreign matter. And therefore, even if they're not attached to the lulav, they're not a chazitza. Another more forgiving concept about what types of things are considered foreign matter and a chatisa. By the way, it's worth noting that he doesn't say that if you tear off hadas and a rubber leaves, um, it'll be puzzled. We never really said explicitly how many leaves have to fall off to, to, to it become possible. We talked about the leaves falling off, right? But we never sort of, you know, went, there's a lot of discussion by the Hadas um, about that, you know, about like uh, three fresh leaves at the top, etc. But we never actually explicitly, discuss, you know, said how many leaves. Um, so this is interesting that he acknowledges that some leaves can come off and it can still be kosher. Okay, so now the Gemara continues. Vema Rabba, Rabba also said, Lulav's inish luva behoshana. You have your lulav wrapped up in your hadas and arava, that's the hoshana, and now you figure your lulav is too big. Don't cut it short, shorter at the bottom. Right? You know that's how you can shorten your lulav, because you just cut it shorter and you have a new bottom. So don't do that. Why? Because what happens when you cut the bottom of your lulav? Right? The leaves that are attached at the very bottom are now no longer attached. Right? Everybody sort of knows how a lulav is constructed, yes? So you know, like, oh, I still don't have my things. Anyway, it's got all of these overlapping leaves that are coming in at different juncture points, right, at the bottom. So if you cut off, you know, two inches at the bottom, all those connection points at the bottom are now separated so in three leaves. Separated okay. So he's now got his same problem. Now you've got lulav leaves that are in your way. Okay, the same point. I don't care that you got lulav leaves there; they're not a chatzitza. Rabba, Rabba also says, "Hadus shel mitzvah." Now we're getting beyond chatzitza issues. Hadus shel mitzvah You can't smell your, the hadus of the of, that you're using in your lulav. Esrog shel mitzvah, but the esrog mutar lahariachbo. You can't smell it. My timer. What's the reason? Hadas still a rechakai. Hadas, the reason people, the fundamental use of a hadas when it's not used for a mitzvah is to smell it. So ki aktsieh, when it is, that's the same word as muktsa, when it's set aside, meaning there's an idea of huktsoli mitzvaso, something that is a mitzvah object set aside for the mitzvah is considered off limits for other things. Even if you're not taking it away from the mitzvah. You can smell it, it doesn't detract from the mitzvah, but it's considered to be like, fully designated, set aside for the mitzvah. So, so the way it's sort of designated is its fundamental central identity. So since the central identity of a hadas, or function, is to smell it, 
When we say this Hadat is certified fully for the mitzvah, it means don't smell it. It's no longer here for your use. It's taken away from your use. It's given over to the mitzvah use. Don't smell it because its use is smelling. Esrog delachirakai, esrog, that basically what do you do with an esrog during the rest of the year? You eat it. So ki aktie neachiwa aktie. Say, don't use the esrog for, for sukkah. It's set aside for, for, for mitzvah use, not for your use. So my use means what I would normally use it for, I can't use it. Don't eat it. But yes, smell it, that's an incidental benefit, that's not its primary identity, and that's not made off limits. Now, you might tell me, what about the whole case before? About yeah, Rebbe Hanina, the dipshit. The Gemara is going to discuss that. Don't worry. The Gemara will later discuss those, that issue. But for now, that's the halacha. Now, by the way, getting back to the point that Dov raised about this whole idea of mikdash, etc., you know, this idea of hukso and mitzvaso applies in many cases, but it particularly was underscored by sukkah, by this idea of the schach, which says, you know, karashem shamayim ala schach, right? Kagaskos la Hashem, God's name is like ala sukkah, the Gemara actually says, and that makes the schach off limits, and we talked about the noise sukkah off limits. So Rashi here, Rashi here couldn't just invoke a general principle of hukzol mitzvaso, but Rashi actually invokes that specific sukkah principle. If you look at Rashi, the word that says, um, riachpo, <coughs> uh, that's 20 lines down in the narrow line, Rashi says, digamina mi sukkah, the yafina prepare kama, the chal shem shamayim al ase sukkah, the aser bahana'ako shiva hold the hukzol mitzvah. So Rashi says this is not a general principle of Fuxol Mitzvah. It's specific to Sukkah and it applies to Lulav as well. So that also again sort of is reinforcing this much more, you know, hectish God presence a concept that we are using here. Okay, so now back to the Gemara. Ve'amarabba. Now Rabba also said, and now this this case is that Rabba is going to talk about is not on Sukkot. It's just contrasting Hajjah to Esro during the rest of the year, like on a Shabbos. Okay, any Shabbos of the year. Hadas b'mechubah, you have myrtle growing on a tree, and it's, you know, Shabbos, I don't know, in January, okay? So, mutu l'ariachbo, you can smell it on Shabbos. We're not afraid that if you smell it off of the tree, you're going to come to break off a twig. Esrog b'mechubah, asr l'ariachbo. An esrog, you can't smell an esrog off of a tree. You can't smell an, an apple while it's growing from a tree on Shabbos. My time, oh why? Hadas l'ariachkai, hadas the whole point is to smell it, so you let me smell it. I'm not going to cut it off. Why do I need to cut it off? You just let me smell it. Maybe I want to bring it to my bring it home and have my wife smell it. But okay, I'm getting the benefit I want right now. I'm not going. I'm, I'm not going to willfully violate. And I'm certainly not. And I'm not going to forget. It's not like I'll get caught up because I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. However, esrog um, dilachilakai. Where, um, but the esrog, the whole purpose is eating, and my focus is on eating. Isharislay. If you let me smell it, I think, ah, oh, it smells so good. I'd love to take a bite. And then alsilimigzai, you'll come to cut it off. So batera heishaki tovayit v'machal. Right, you start smelling it, then you want to actually take a bite of this. Actually, there's an opinion that the first uh, that the tree that the chayd of Adam Machava was the esrog, the esrog, the esrog. Anyway, um, so Rashi has a question. Rashi says, but maybe you won't pluck it off the tree. Maybe you'll be smelling it, and you just take a bite while it's attached to the tree. So Rashi says, Eim chatoish That's also a Shabbos prohibition of detaching something. Who cares if you detached it by plucking it or you detached it by taking a bite out of it? You still detach the growing thing from the tree. Why is she okay. Not, not, not the normal way you take it off of a tree. All right, I don't know. Okay, anyway, that was another a related issue about the difference between Hadas and Arava applied, Hadas and Esrog applied to a Shabbos halacha. Now Rabbah also says, 
Lulav do you mean the Esau be small? Lulav you take in your right hand, the Esau in your left. So lefties like me, we ask him that it's, that it's the reverse, it's your strong hand, so lefties would take the lulav in the left. But anyway, assuming a world of righties, esrog in the right hand, a lulav in the right hand, esrog in the left. My timer, what's the reason? Honey plus mitzvah, the haichad mitzvah. The lulav is three mitzvah, three parts of it, three quarters of the mitzvah, and the esrog is only one. By the way, notice, in all of these discussions, even though we don't pass them like Red Yehuda, that lulav tzarech eged, all of these discussions assume you're doing an eged anyway. You're having the lulav hadas and arava, right? When Rav says, don't, you know, Rav says, sticking it in to the hadas and the arava, cutting it when it's already in the bunch. All of these assume that even if it doesn't strictly require the egged, it's coming together, knotted together. So you have a knotted together lulav hadas and arava, that's three out of four, that goes in your stronger hand, that goes in the right hand. Okay. Um, Amalei Reb Yirmi Reb Zreka, Reb Yirmi said to Reb Zreka, my time lo mevachinam ela al netilat lulav, why do we say al netilat lulav? Why don't we say al netilat arba minim? Or al netilat priyeta dar kapotz marim anavek devos arve nachav? So why don't we say that? So he says, hold the gavoh mikulam. Yeah, because lulav is bigger, so it stands out, and therefore people look at it, they focus on the lulav, that sort of dominates. The lulav with everything else. So then the Gemara, so he says, so he just assumed that meant it happened to be more visible. So why not you hold up the esro real high and say, "All this you lot esro," you know? Yeah, Rabbi Yemiah likes asking those questions. That's true. Amalei holu b'mino gabomikulam. It's naturally bigger than all of them. Okay, and therefore, obviously, that gives it more dominance, and therefore, you're going to make that bracha. I'll use this opportunity to just mention another fascinating halacha that we said, I think, at the end of one dot, but we didn't have enough time to sit on it for a minute which is you know the Gemara you might remember has this idea of um, of Lekichat uh, Hamad that they all have to be you know or no, the Arba Minim Shabalud of Ma'ak you know you need all four of them to be Yotze but there's an interesting position of the Gaonim that the Rambam Paskins which actually is you need all four of them to be Yotze but you don't have to take them at the same time you could take a lulav in the morning, an esrog in the afternoon, the hadas two hours later, the arava an hour later. No, we don't pass them like Reb Yehuda. Okay, now that's b'dyeva, it's not like hatchiva, but you can be yotze if you eventually took the arba minim. It wasn't one act of l'shicha. Tosus argues, if the Torah says one act of taking, you can't take them at separate times. But within the Rambam that says that you could take them separately, he says, and when you take the lulav, you make the bracha, uh, uh, you know, and then when you take the esro, you say al or I forget al You know, create uh, hadar. <laughs> and, you, and, and he says, yeah, you would make each one a different bracha. Nitilat, so, that's the rabbinic formulation. Right. Nitilat, like Likichat. Right, right. Right. And then when you got to the Hadas, it would be Al Likichat, you know, Anafe Tavot. Nitilat, or whatever, Anafe Tavot. So it's quite interesting, because we're mentioning here bracha and that the Lulav dominates. And that's that idea that it's one act of taking. A, according to Rebuda, you literally have to bunch the Lulav, Hadas, and Arava and make them one unit. But even if we pa- and we practically do it even if you don't have to but certainly we sort of see it as one taking dominated by the lulav whereas again the debate of Rambam versus Tosvos Gaonim versus Tosvos is 
can you bid the Eved Biyotze with four separate acts of taking? And as long as you did all four acts, somehow you would be Yotze. Yeah. I'm interested in something else. Is the Rambam deriving what those brachot would be? Because they're not... Yeah, he, I, I think he, he, he... I don't know if he's getting it from tradition of the Gaonim or he's just speculating. A lot of the brachot are not in the Gemara and were finally crystallized in the Gaonic period. So I don't know, though, if there was a... If, I, I, if there were Gaonim pre... You know, so that, uh, that principle pre- of not making a brachot that's not there really extends through the Gaonic period. In other words, right, you're not supposed to make a bracha that's you not... You mean right. develop new brachot? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, again, you know, mostly a lot of it was crystallized in the Gaonic period, um, and uh, there's some discussion sometimes in the Rishonim about the possibility, but mostly it stops with the Gaonim. Okay, let's take a look now at the next Mishnah. The Heichan Hayumananin where would you shake the lulav? Now, it's so funny. We didn't even mention the act of taking the lulav. I mean, you know, we didn't say you have to lift it up and take it. I mean, that was just discussed in the Gemara, right? About taking and taking with an obstacle. But it wasn't discussed in the Mishnah. The Mishnah just goes straight to shaking the lulav, okay? So where would you shake the lulav? Um, so it says, Behodul Hashem Tchilav By Hodul Hashem, beginning and end. Beginning and end means the Hodul Hashem that occurs in the middle of Hallel and the Hodul Hashem at the end of Hallel. Rashi points out that people aren't aware of this, but in Tehillim, it's really all one uh, parrot. So, um... Right? So we have, right, we have the, right, it says here, if you look at the top, right, it says... Tehillim Kuf Yudzayim, Halu Hashem Goyim, Ahodu Hashem Kitov, Yomerna, da 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 right? And all of that, and then here at the very end, right? Hodu Hashem Kitov Kilam Chazdo. And it's all in, if you look here at the back that has your Tehillim. So, Kuf Yudzayim is Halu Hashem Goyim. Kuf Yudchet is Hodu Hashem Kitov Kilam Chazdo Yomena Yisrael Kilam Chazdo Yomena Vezon Kilam Chazdo Yomena Yisrael Kilam Chazdo Mina Mesa Krasiya Da 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 Very last one Hodu Hashem Kitov Kilam Chazdo So in the actual Perk of Kilim it starts with Hodu Hashem Kitov it ends with Hodu Hashem Kitov I mean for us it's such a central part of the Hallel who would think it's all the same Perk of Kilim but that's Tchila Vesof the Hodu Hashem at the beginning of Perk Kuf Yudchet and the Hodul Hashem at the end, which is basically the middle of Hallel and the end of Hallel. Yeah, but yeah. when did this church divide the Shanach? Uh, I used to know the answer to okay, that. No, but, but it was, question, pu- yeah. My question really is when Rashi here says Perik, yeah. he means what we mean by Perik. Yes, yes. So no, he doesn't. It's already mean, done by the 11th century. No, no, no. He doesn't mean the church Perik. He means uh, the Messorah way of dividing exactly. it. Exactly. Okay. Right. So anyway, okay. Okay, um, okay. now. So says you do it at Ana Hashem Hoshiana, which is what we do. Even by Ana Hashem Hatzlichana. So that doesn't fit neatly into how the Beit Beit Hill Beit Shammai. Okay, you know, what exactly is that about? Not so clear. Um, now again, I've been talking about how much there are stories in the Gemara and sort of in Sukkah about watching things and interpreting what happens. I was like peering at, I was focusing on Rebbe Gamliel and Rebbe Yoshua during Hallel, Shekolam Hayyumanani Nesula Behem, that everybody would be shaking their lulav at who knows what times. Vehem lo na'anu ela be'an Hashem Hoshiyana. They only did an Hashem, not Hoshiyana, an Hashem Hatzlichana. Okay, so, we'll, we'll start to see what that's about. Let's read a line of the Gemara and then I want to see if we have a minute to look at some important, an important post. Nianua man d'chashmei. 
Whoever said that you had to shake your lulav? So chosam kai. It going back on an early mission by lulav. Kol lulav sheyesh bo shlosha tefachim kedelin anebo kasher. It says the lulav needs three tefachim to shake it, or we read it and enough to, and a tefach to shake it. It's kosher, which already put out the idea that shaking is part of the lulav. The kamar and it says hechaminanim. So now we're discussing where you would shake it, even though we haven't even talked about taking it. Now, I want to just uh, uh, take a minute to talk about this important tosos of Behodu Hashem Chiva Besov. Because tosos raises the question of what about the chazin for us? Does it at like the, you know, you know, at the, you know, at, you know, at the, uh, part of that sort of responsive section, right? I mean, though, so we do it, right? So, ha, ha, what do they do for Svaradim? Tell me what does Svaradim do? We just, uh, Everybody says everybody says the words simultaneously and does the response. You just do it once at Hodul Hashem Kito. Very interesting. Okay. And the Ashkenazim knew. What did the Ashkenazim do? People tell me. Does the yeah. And then everybody's uh, everybody repeats. Like he, he repeats the Hodel Hashem Kitov. Everybody the Kahal says Hodel Hashem Kitov in response to each of those. And every time the Kahal says Hodel Hashem Kitov, the Kahal waves it. Right. We right. only do like just each one, just one. Right. Right. What does the Chazan do? What does the Chazan do? The Nanuim. When? So the Nashinazim. Yeah. Nobody knows? Pay, and people paying attention? What? Oh, this is the beginning the end. At the end of... Yeah. He does it. He does it. No, 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 no. But in the Hodul Hashem, the responsive Hodul Hashem. Right. Right? He does it during, right, the... During the, uh, you know, the Hodu Hashem Kito, right? Yomer right? Na Yisrael, right? He does it on everything. He does it on everything. He does it on everything. Exactly. Exactly. So where does he get off doing that if the Gemara, if the mission only says it on Hodu Hashem Kito? So take a look at Tosos. Tosos says like this. He does it on everything. Hodu Shabbat whatever calculation for this. And then he says like this. Um, the line starts with the word pam echad. Okay, so first he says like this. The time of the Beitilia, what's the reason of doing it by hodu and analash and hoshia now? What's they're coming from? So first he says the fascinating part. There's a pasuk. It was just hodu, you understand. You begin it with hanyanurim and you end it. What's the idea of doing it by Ana Hashem Hoshiana? So he says, Minani Mishum Dixiv, Az Yiraninu, Atse Hayar, the trees of the forest will spring out in song, Milifni Hashem Kivalish Botaret, the Ksiv Vasrei, Hodu Hashem Kitov, Kiliam Chazo, the Kitsiv Nami Vasrei, in this Pasuk, the Imru, Hoshienu Elohe Yishenu. So the singing out of the trees of the forest is Holu Hashem Kitov and Ana Hashem Hoshiyama. Sainu Yiraninu. Shemina'aninus Halulav. You shake the Lulav. Rumashabchim the Hodu. And the trees are like bursting forth in song. And that's the symbolic of the shaking of the Lulav. And they're saying Hodu Hashem Ube Ana Hashem Hoshiyama. So I don't know what the idea of Eshama is, but it's a beautiful explanation of B.T.L.L. 
And then he says, the Arshav Shenagu Shishliach Tzibur Omar, Yomer Na Yisrael, Vatzibur Onim Hodu. So before we even get to the shaking, as Dov just told us, the whole idea that there's a responsive, uh, you know, sort of uh, acting out of the saying it and the answering of Hodu. And so we do a responsive Hodu. So we do it for all the Hodus. At least we're still doing it for Hodu. Don't do it on his part of the Yomarna. The Yeshnefarshim, Sakshriyach Tzibur Minanea, Agav Tzibura, Shoni Bechopam Upam Hodu Minani, Minani, Nami Shriyach Tzibur, Biyomarna, Biyomarna. Okay? So that's what he says. Yeah, if you're going to respond to me by doing Hodu Hashem and shake it, I'm going to do a, I'm going to shake it while I'm doing the Yomarna Yisrael and the Yomarna Beis Aron, etc. Okay? So that Tosus deals with our current practice, A, the idea that there's a responsiveness a responsive recitation which is not by Svartim and once we're doing it we do it at every Hodu and he does it at the parts that sort of you know that, that we are responding to okay so that's our current practice and this very interesting idea of like the trees bursting forth in song tomorrow I want to discuss the end of Tosvos which discusses this issue about shaking the lulav not during hollow but at the time of the bracha and the relationship of making the bracha and taking the lulav and shaking the lulav during hollow. Very central idea. We'll start tomorrow by discussing the end of those stuff. Okay. End of that. Church divided into 12.04. 12.04. After Rashi. After Rashi. Rashi. Right. So he sees that there is a Masoda and the Parashat.